Well, hey, we haven't met before. My name is Bill. I'm a pastor here at Mosaic. So excited to share this conversation with you guys because I think faith and science, uh, it's one of those things where a lot of times people feel like they're at war. Uh, I don't think they need to be. I really don't. I think, faith, I think science consistently tells us and explains to us the things that we don't know, and faith is simply an embrace of the things that we don't know. Um, and so for me, like, I love faith. I love science. Uh, so I think those two need to get married, in my opinion. Um, but I'm curious, like, what for you, what was that class in school that you really hated? Did someone say high school? Okay. <laughs> so how about, uh, how about English? Who hated English? Oh, okay. All right. A lot of English people. Who hated P.E.? Jim, I don't know. You guys don't call PE. Uh, science. All right. How about math? Woo! Okay, you guys are going to like me. Uh, my favorite class in high school was math. Uh, I loved it. it. And I think for me, like being a 17-year-old kid, I, I, I just understood it. Like there was this moment that it just clicked and I was like, oh, I get it. Uh, and it didn't for everyone else. So maybe I just thought I was better than everyone in the class. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I'm kind of good at this, and I like it. And then that very next year, uh, I'm sitting in college orientation, and they hand everyone a piece of paper, and they say, what do you want your major to be? Which is a really dangerous thing to hand an 18-year-old kid. It's like, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? I don't know. <laughs> I looked at my parents, and I have no idea. Uh, so I was like, I guess I'm good at math, and my teacher in high school is kind of cool. So education, math, education. So I have a bachelor's degree in math, and now I'm a pastor, so I think I may have chosen wrong. Uh, but maybe not, uh, because I think, that, I think these two worlds are so much more connected than we think that they are. And that connection hit for me when I was a junior in college. I was taking a class called Linear Algebra, which is amazing, by the way. Uh, linear Algebra, and the professor handed us this book called Flatland. Has anyone ever heard of the book Flatland? Like one person. Awesome. So you guys, it's a really short book. You have to buy this book. It's amazing. But let me tell you the story of Flatland. So Flatland, it's a story about this character, and his name is Square, right? And so Square lives in a two-dimensional world, and he even has an eyeball right there. And he has, you can see his guts inside because we look down on him. And so Square lives in a house. And the thing about this world called Flatland is men are squares and polygons and circles, and women, for whatever reason or not, are just lines. Um, so women and men, they can't go in through the same door, because if a woman and a man go in through the same door, if you live in a two-dimensional world, you have to picture yourself, if you're looking at a line straight on, you won't really be able to see it. It'll just look like a tiny little dot. And so in Flatland, what happens if a woman is not careful, she will accidentally pierce a man and stab him because she's so skinny. I mean, the author thought it was funny. I didn't write the book, okay? That's in the story, okay? And so one day in this world of Flatland, which is a two-dimensional world, and so in a two-dimensional world, it's like a piece of paper. You can move north, south, east, and west, but that's it. You can't move outside of north, south, east, and west. And so one day, our character, our friend, his name is Square, he has a dream. 
And he has this dream that he visits a one-dimensional world. He visits a line, right? So everyone exists on this line, and this is our king. The king is the longest line in all the land, and everyone uh, is to the side of him. And so Square visits, and he begins to talk to the king, and he's like, hey, king, look, don't you know, like, you think you can just move left and right. You could just move east and west, but don't you know you can move forward and back? Don't you know that you can move north and south as well? And the king is like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense whatsoever. We live on a line. We can only go left and right. We cannot go forward and back. And so the square is like, let me prove it to you. And so in the square, he decides to, he shows up on the line. So he peers out of thin air, out of nowhere. And the king's like, where did you come from? Like, what the heck? And then the square says, okay, let me show you. I'm going to disappear. So the king's going crazy because he's like, I don't know where you're going. I don't know what you're doing. And the square's trying to explain to him, you don't just have to go left and right, but you can go forward and back as well. So this just makes the king so angry, so mad, because the square is upsetting everything. His view of reality, his view of existence, who he is as a person, who he is as ruler of the king. So then square reappears again, and the king gets so angry that he attacks square, and square wakes up. So then Square's like, what? Like, that was a strange dream. That was kind of weird. And that night, Square is visited by a man who's from a place called Spaceland. So Spaceland is the world of three dimensions. Spaceland is the world of not just north, south, east, and west, but also you can go up and you can go down. And Sphere's trying to explain to Square, look, right? You don't just have to go north, south, east, west. It's not just left, right, forward, back, but you can also go up and down. And then he says, let me prove it to you. And this probably shows it better than what I could draw. So he kind of appears as a small circle, and then he gets bigger and bigger, and then he disappears again. And Square, having this dream, realizes, you're right. And so then the Sphere takes him, lifts him up, shows him that he can look down, he can see the world around him. He can see his friends. He can see their eyeballs and their guts inside. And he realizes reality is so much more than I ever thought it is. And I thought it would be. And so he goes back to Flatland. And he tries to become an evangelist for the third dimension. And no one would believe him. No one could believe him. And so you probably picked up like where the author's really trying to take us here is that when we exist in a dimension, we, we can see what it looks like to be in the dimension below it. So when you're in a second dimension, the first dimension makes sense. It's like, don't you realize you can go forward and back? And then the third dimension is, don't you realize it's so easy, you can also go up and you can go down. There's three dimensions to everything. But what about us? What does that mean for us as people who exist in spaceland, Right? Because if science is constantly telling us facts and it's constantly trying to prove things that we know, faith really needs to be embraced of what we don't know. Faith should be an embrace of that mystery, of that mystery of, I just don't know. You know, because the world around us is so much bigger than we could have ever realized. But I feel like what's kind of subtly happened is uh, 
faith hasn't become really mystery anymore. I don't think when you talk to people of faith, I don't think they use that word to describe it very often. I think what I feel like I hear a lot of times is, I hear truth, what's right, what's wrong, what's, uh, what's black, what's white. It's theology, it's doctrine, it's fact, right? And none of these things are necessarily bad. Like I'm saying, we should embrace those conversations, but my fear is that we've lost what the mystery of our faith is. And what's interesting is the Apostle Paul uses the word mystery 21 times in the New Testament. Let me uh, share a few of those with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. And then this one in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9 is really interesting. Uh, It says, they, talking about church leaders, must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And we need to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, but then I looked at what the NIV said for 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. And what the NIV says is, we must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Like the, I, I, I don't ever really put those two words together, mystery and truth. I think those things mean very different things in the culture and the world that we live in. Uh, and so... You know, I can maybe see what the translators were trying to do with that is like, maybe the deep truth. Just because it's a mystery doesn't mean it's not true. And so I could see where they're going with that. But in my mind, I'm like, I could see how someone could misread this. So I'm like, well, what, what was the original Greek? Was it mystery or was it truth? And so I looked up uh, what the Greek word was. And the Greek word that Paul uses is the word mysterion, which is, take a guess. What do you think that is? Right? It's mystery. It's mystery. And like, I was like, I, I remember thinking, I, I just feeling this disappointment because I just feel like we're so, we can be so addicted to truth because truth is easy. Black and white is easy. But when we have to embrace a faith of mystery, we're nervous of that. We're weary of that because it can maybe lead us down to a strange place. Um, but man, I'm convinced we need to step into this place of mystery. I love what Richard Rohr says. He says, people who've had any genuine spiritual experience always know that they don't know. They are utterly humbled before mystery. They are in awe before the abyss of it all and wonder at eternity and depth and a love which is incomprehensible to the mind. We obviously are residents of sphere land or space land. We exist in three dimensions. But is that all there is to reality? Three dimensions. Uh, Because the interesting thing about where kind of science is right now is science is really beginning to delve into this realm of mystery. I don't think science, the past hundred years, has not been very afraid of mystery. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is kind of 
really dive in. So all you people that said you didn't like science or math, uh, you are not going to like the next few minutes here. Because we're going to get into quantum mechanics. Has anyone ever heard of quantum mechanics? A couple people? Sweet. All right. This is going to be an exciting time. So quantum mechanics is really, really a unique science. Uh, it's kind of a young science because it's really the study at the atomic and subatomic level. Uh, I know I lost you there for a second, but stick with me. So we, we kind of, for those of us who remember science class at all, we have an atom, right? And an atom is made up of, you got your proton, your neutron, and then what circles the atom? Electron. Yes. One person paid attention in science. Sweet. So the electron goes around the proton and the neutron, right? Has anyone ever heard of Quantum Leap? Not that awesome TV show from the 90s, right? <laughs> Be honest, who was a Quantum Leap fan? I loved that show so much. Oh, it's amazing. You, if you've never seen Quantum Leap, you have to watch it. It's pretty phenomenal. But uh, Quantum Leap and Quantum Mechanics, it's really interesting because that electron that goes around the proton and the neutron, what happens is if you have a particle of light... Right, let's say our particle of light is going, and it hits that electron. Hits that electron, it's going to give it energy, and it's going to spin faster, and it's going to spin wider. But in quantum leap, is it spins faster and wider, but this distance, it doesn't travel. It just jumps from here to here, basically disappearing and reappearing simultaneously. Uh, They say maybe it exists in both places at once in that moment, in that instance. Like, that's crazy. Like, we can't even think about that in our mind because we're so used to acceleration, right? We drive cars every day. You press the gas. You don't instantaneously go 60 miles an hour. No, it takes you four or five seconds to get to 60 miles an hour if you drive like me. Uh, But yeah, like, you, you, you know how to accelerate, So for us, this idea of a quantum leap, that it just jumps. So also, uh, what I thought was kind of interesting is, so for a long period of time, uh, people and scientists, they thought light was a wave, kind of like a sound wave. So sound, they exist in waves. Uh, But what Einstein realized was light acts a lot like a particle. It acts a lot like gas. And so he came up with a theory, and he proved that theory, That light is, in fact, a particle. He won a Nobel Prize for it. You know, many times we know of Einstein, we know who he is, we know E equals MC squared. I'm not even going to begin to attempt E equals MC squared. Uh, But he proved that light is actually um, a particle. And so light, light particles and electrons, they're very similar. And so quantum mechanics, they began to do this experiment with these particles. And this is where things get really kind of crazy and weird. So they did this experiment where, let's say you have a particle like an electron, right? So let's say hypothetically, let's say you have a bowling ball, okay? Let's say you're at the bowling alley and you're going to bowl and you have this barrier and here's your wall back there. Now when you bowl the ball, if it goes to the the right slot, where is it going to go? It's going to go right here, right? So let's say you throw... Let's say you throw 100 bowling balls through that. It's going to go there, right? Let's say you throw it through the other side. It's going to go here. So then they predicted, okay, if, light, if electrons are particles, then if we throw them through that double barrier, 
the pattern's going to look like that, right? What they found was that it didn't. It ended up looking like this. This is a really bad drawing, so I apologize. But it created this pattern. And actually, the biggest condensation of that pattern was right here, which is actually the middle barrier. And they're like, that's really weird. Why did it do that? And so then what they decided to do is they said, they said, oh, okay, let's put up a camera. Let's see what's going on here. So they put up a camera here just so that they could see if they could see the electron. And when they put up a camera, the pattern disappears and it goes back to just that two-slotted pattern. So when this electron was being observed by a device that was trying to watch it, it changed the state that it was in. Because it chose to become more of a particle, and it hit that back wall. And what they realized was, when they weren't watching, when they turned the cameras off, what happens is the electron goes through both of those openings at the same time. Because the electron is actually acting like a wave of electrons. Which then you hit the two, you hit the two slits, double slit experiment, it turns into two waves, because you imagine if you had a wave of water, hit those two berries with two openings, it's going to create a couple waves. And then that wave pattern is what's hitting this wall. And that's just probability. So where it's going to go, and probability was very exact. And so you can see it on this. This is kind of low resolution. we got some things blocking here. But you have the wave pattern, and then you have the pattern of it hitting the wall. But when you turn a camera on, it just becomes like that, which is really weird. It's like, it's like a game of hide-and-seek, isn't it? It's like, it's like the electron knows, and it's trying to trick us for some reason or another. Uh, and so the scientist, he said, it's kind of like this. He tried to explain it this way, which is really funny uh, way to explain it. This scientist named Schrodinger, he's like, let's say you have a cat, and you put a cat inside of a box, and you put, uh, let's say you put uh, radioactive material in the box with the cat, which is a very good idea, Right? And the cat has a 50% likelihood of surviving inside the box. Now, when you close the lid, this is hypothetically what's going on with these electrons, is that the cat is both dead and alive simultaneously. Makes perfect sense, right? No, not at all. Because we don't understand that in our minds because that's not the way the physical world works. But he's saying that's essentially what's happening with these electrons is that they are existing in multiple places at once and in multiple states. And it's not until you observe it and you watch it that it chooses a state. So what they're saying is this probability of them hitting the wall, it exists in all those places simultaneously and it doesn't make a choice until we're watching it. I mean, this is, the, this is the world that we live in. I think sometimes, like, it's easy for me to, like, read these articles and think, wow, like, this is crazy. This, like, this seems like an episode of Star Trek. It seems like an episode of Quantum Leap. It doesn't seem like this is the real world. And it gets weirder. So uh, let me talk to you about this other thing. It's called quantum entanglement, right? So let's say you have two particles, particle A, particle B, and you entangle them. Right? So they're connected. And when a particle is entangled, what it means is particles have spin. So let's say this was spin up. This would be spin down. And now, if you separated these particles, no matter how far you separated them, let's say you separated them by like one billion light years. Okay? 
So it would take, this, it would take, uh, it would take light one billion years to travel the distance, and you separated it. If you change the spin of A, then B will simultaneously change spin to the opposite direction. And in Einstein's theory of special relativity is that nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. Yet what we see in quantum entanglement is something really strange is happening. And even crazier is if you introduce particle C to particle A, and let's say particle C has some characteristics. Let's say this is kind of the DNA to particle C. Once you incorporate it to particle A, what happens is particle B will turn into particle C, and particle C, where it's at, will be destroyed. So that particle, or the information from that particle, is changing over a billion light years in a moment, in an instant. Which is crazy, right? It doesn't make sense. We can't even fathom what these things mean. Uh, did anyone uh, see the uh, SpaceX landed? They had a rocket that they landed on like a ship in the middle of the ocean. It was amazing. Google that if you didn't see it. Uh, and then USA Today this week had on the cover, they found a behemoth black hole. Here's a picture of it. Behemoth black hole. So it's a computer, it's a computer uh, generated image of a black hole. And a black hole is, uh, that is the size of 17 billion of our suns. So it's the weight of 17 billion suns. Now here's the crazy thing about uh, even our sun. Could we go to that picture of our sun, Jason? Um, is if you have a particle of light at the core of the sun, on average it'll take 100,000 years to get from the core of the sun to the surface. 100,000 years because of gravity. And then it'll take eight and a half minutes to go from the surface of the sun to your skin. 100,000 years and then eight and a half minutes. That's what gravity does. Can we go back to the black hole? So with a black hole, the gravity is so intense that light cannot escape. It is so intense. Gravity is so intense that nothing can escape. And it basically swallows up stars. And there's some theories out there about black holes. Uh, I was watching the TV show Cosmos. If you haven't watched it, I'm probably going to talk about that every week because I'm in love with it. Uh, and he was uh, imagining, like, he's in this pretend spaceship, and he's like, no one has ever been to a black hole or seen a black hole with their, with their actual eyes. But he's like, now imagine if we would have entered into a black hole. Now imagine we actually go inside of a black hole. What would that be like if you could survive it? You probably couldn't because if light can't get out of it, you probably couldn't either, Right? So if you go inside of a black hole, uh, the gravity would be so intense, and gravity and time are actually connected, uh, that time would essentially stop for you. It would keep going, but for everything outside of you, it would basically go into hyperspeed. And so he's like, hypothetically, you could see the universe, basically the entire history of the universe right before your eyes if you went inside of a black hole. Because that's how black holes bend and twist light and even time itself. Uh, and there's even a theory that black holes could quantumly transport you to another universe. It's called the multiverse. That we don't just live in one universe, but we live in a multiverse, which is an infinite number of universes that are connected. Like these are the top thinkers of our world. Like, this is literally not 
this isn't science fiction writing. These are people who are legitimately doing studies and uh, writing math equations to prove these things. Uh, We obviously don't know. They're doing thought experiments. But I think the thing for me that's fascinating, that's so fascinating, is they're really just beginning to embrace mystery. They're beginning to embrace, man, the universe is so much bigger than we ever thought possible. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I love what he says. He says, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Under no obligation. And the thing that I keep thinking about in my mind that I can't get out of my mind is, has science embraced mystery more than people of faith have? Has science felt the freedom to say, you know what, we're going to step into this realm of mystery more than us as people of faith? Faith is a belief in things that we cannot see. And I wonder if we've kind of gotten things off just a little bit. That we've become so obsessed with fact and truth and right and wrong and black and white. Just wondering if, if the balance is off. And if we haven't actually fully been able to embrace the mystery of the cross, like Paul says, the mystery of God. And I think sometimes a big part of it is we can be afraid of mystery. Because mystery could kind of be a little bit dangerous, right? Because we could be like, well, you're kind of heading down a dangerous path if you embrace mystery. I feel like I hear that a lot. So let's like Neil deGrasse Tyson, let's do a thought experiment, okay? So if God is mysterious, what I want you to do is just shout out, in your opinion, how is God mysterious? Bigger than the universe, okay? Omnipresent, present everywhere at one time, omniscient, he's all-knowing, always existed, eternity past and present, I don't understand that. What else? Yeah. Invisible. Yeah, for sure. Anything else? Created everything. Give me one more. Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's say, let's, let me add one more. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. What does that mean? Right? We have a faith that is so mysterious. You know, and let's even take that a step further, right? Why is there pain in the world? Why is there suffering? And the big question is like, what is God doing about that? Because if God is all-powerful, right? If God could do anything... Why is there suffering in the world? And I think that anytime you have a conversation with someone who's not a person of faith, that's one of the first things that's brought up. Uh, just this Thursday night, I was sitting uh, at Jake's with a friend. His name was Savita. And we were just having this amazing theological, philosophical conversation. Uh, and right when the conversation started getting good, uh, this girl sat down to hit on Savita. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. 
And so she's sitting there and she kind of is, you know, basically bombarded in conversation. And so we're trying to humor her. But eventually it gets to the point where it's like, okay, we're just continuing our conversation. And she could sit here if she wants. So, uh, so we keep talking and all of a sudden she goes, are you guys talking about God? And we said, yeah. And she, for the next literally two hours, tried to convince us that there was no God. And she's pulling every argument in the book, every argument in the book. And it got to this point where I was like, man, like, she's almost like an evangelist for atheism. And I even said to her, I was like, look, I'm not even trying to convince you of, like, who's right or who's wrong. Uh, We can agree to disagree. Uh, And she just kept going and kept going. And then she began to say things like, well, if God was all-powerful, how come people, when they, uh, how come God will answer a prayer for someone to win a World Series? How How come God will answer a prayer for someone to win an Oscar? But kids are dying all around the world. How come God will answer a prayer for someone to win a Grammy, but little girls and little boys are getting abused all over the planet? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, like someone in your life hurt you. And I said to her, I was like, look, it's really obvious that someone who called themselves a person of faith at some point in your life uh, really hurt you, really, really, really hurt you. And with tears streaming down her face, this girl that sat at our table to hit on my friend uh, is literally talking to us about how for three years she was abused by someone that called themselves uh, a person of faith, a man of God. And she said, not one person who ever was a theist, not one theist ever reached out a hand of help to me. Never, ever, ever. And in that moment, I felt like all we could say was, well, You have two now. You have two now. And my worry is that, man, we've gotten so lost in the facts that we've lost the mystery of the cross. We've lost the mystery that for some reason, God chooses to heal the brokenness in the world by healing us. That for some reason, every single one of us can relate to the story of Adam and Eve. We can relate to it because we've either picked that fruit off the tree and eaten it ourselves, and we felt that brokenness or someone else has done that and it's affected and it's hurt us and it's broken us. And so one tree brought entire brokenness into the world and then the mystery of the cross is that the other tree, the cross, brought wholeness into the world. And that for some reason God chooses to be all-powerful through his healing of us and through our brokenness. And I love what Paul says as he says that we can be clothed in Christ, that we can be clothed in that wholeness. He also says in Colossians, Christ in us, that Christ, the wholeness, actually exists in us. And in that moment, sitting there across the table from this girl is just knowing, like, the thing that we share, the thing that's undeniable, is that we share this brokenness. And all I could offer her is music, yeah. <laughs> all I could offer her is the, like, the clothes, that I'm clothed in that wholeness. And all I could say is, look, here's an extended hand. And I just wonder, man, like, have we just lost sight of the mystery? Have we lost sight of what God is actually doing in our life and in our presence Um, I love what Thomas Aquinas says. He says, creation is the primary and most perfect revelation of the divine. 
Creation is the primary and most perfect revelation of the divine because the mystery of the cross is sitting here in this room. The mystery of the cross is standing on this stage. The mystery of the cross is that Jesus who came and was 100% man and 100% God, whatever that means, for us, we are 100% flesh and blood, but we are 100% spirit. That we are the mystery of flesh and spirit just as Jesus was the mystery of flesh in God. I love what it says in Psalm chapter 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you even care for them. You have made them a little lower than God and you crown them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. That we can trust this extraordinary God. That we can trust this mysterious God. And the big question that I've been pondering this week is how do I fully embrace this mystery? How do I actually begin to step into that mystery? And the thing that I just couldn't get out of my head is, from, is we're present, right? We are present. Because I feel like the cross It heals us from our past. It heals us from our brokenness. The cross, the mystery of the cross is that we actually don't even have to worry about the future because we could be so anxious. We could be so nervous about the future and what it's in store and what it holds. But the mystery of the cross is that we allow ourselves to just be present and say, I'm listening, I'm here. I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. But what I know is that I'm broken. We're all broken. All of humanity is broken. But we could be clothed in the wholeness of the mystery of the cross. We can be clothed in the wholeness that Jesus brought when he nailed our past to the cross. And for me, for us, What I want us to be able to step into is to allow that healing to come. Allow that wholeness to come. And maybe you're here and you just feel absolutely broken. Maybe you feel like you've made some decisions in your life where you picked that fruit off the tree and it destroyed part of you. Maybe someone else did something horrendous to you, just like that girl who's sitting across from me on Thursday night. And what you need is you need somehow the mystery of the cross. You need to feel that wholeness invaded in your life. And really, the only way we can do that is we're present in this moment here and now when we say, God, I'm listening. God, I embrace your wholeness. I embrace who you were and who you still are, that you still are present. You still are powerful. You are always, you are bigger than the universe. And even though you are invisible, you are also visible through what you're doing in the world, through your people. See, prayer, prayer says, I want to join the mystery. I don't think there's anything more mysterious that we could do as people of faith than pray. And we don't pray very often as people. I think sometimes we're afraid of the mysterious because we're so focused on our past, our brokenness, or we're so focused on our future that we forget to be present So prayer, it's a focus on we are here, we exist, and that Christ 
He wants to heal our brokenness so we're not so focused in the past. He wants us to cast our cares and our burdens on him so we're not focused and worried and stressed about the future so that we can be here. We are here. We exist. That doesn't make sense. That is the biggest mystery. So let's be present this week. Let's be here, even now. Let's just sit. Let's say, God, I'm listening. Let's pray. God, I'm listening. Speak to my mind, to my heart, my soul. Jesus, we thank you for the mystery of the cross. We thank you for Paul writing so much about the mystery of the cross. That for some reason, somehow you are the representation of God and man 100%. That God, you exist as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know somehow you are present everywhere and you are present here and you want a relationship with us. You can see our brokenness. You can see our shame. Where can we run? Where can we hide? Nowhere. Because you know everything. And so God, I pray here and now in this moment, we have the courage to admit I am broken. And then we have the strength to say, the only thing that I can do is be clothed in you, Jesus. To be clothed in your wholeness. So today, I want to declare that, Jesus, I want to be clothed in your wholeness. I want to feel your wholeness wrapped around me. And even though I feel broken inside, I feel your wholeness wrapped around me. And that somehow, the mystery of this infinitely vast universe potentially multiverse that God you reign above it all and you reign above it all and not just that but you are here right now presently in this moment thank you God it's in your name we pray Jesus amen